One of my favorite places to be is to sit around a campfire. Anybody with me? I mean, I love it. I love it. Some people are not into the smoke. You're not into the outdoors. Me, man, I love to be around a campfire. We've got a fire pit in my backyard. We use it all year long. We're constantly looking for wood to burn. So if you've got some good dry oak, let me know. I will take it off your hands. I love doing that because there's just something about a campfire. It's just a great equalizer, right? I mean, you sit there and things that you wouldn't say at a kitchen table or in someone's living room or at work, you would open up about it at a campfire. And it goes from everything from silly to serious, and it is an equalizer on all accounts. Like, I have been around campfires with little kids who can't sit still for more than 10 minutes, but man, you give them a campfire and something to, to stick in there and burn, they will stand there and do that for hours. And if you're the parent who's like, don't get near the fire, I encourage you to instead teach your kid how to be safe around a fire and let them do that. It is a God-made babysitter. Put them right there. I've sat there with teenagers. I'm a Boy Scout leader, love Boy Scouts. I've sat with teenagers, which is a culture who is inundated with their screens, and they're playing video games, and they're texting, and they're calling. But for a whole weekend, they will sit around a campfire and just hang out and talk with people of different ages and just be real serious about it. Uh, as a Boy Scout leader, uh, I also had the opportunity to, to do a really cool thing. This is neat. Campfires create some kind of unity, and uh, this is neat. I have this little canister, and it's full of ashes from a campfire. And so there's this tradition in scouting, and I assume maybe other organizations do it too, but I think back in uh, 1907, there was this original big leaders meeting, and it was in this island uh, in the British Isles, and uh, some people like saved some ashes from it, okay? And then the idea is you take those ashes, and you go to the next event, you dump your ashes into that fire, and then when that cools down, you scoop up new ashes. And it's been going on and on. In fact, I, have it, I thought I'll put it in my pocket. Yeah, I got this booklet that came with my. I just got this a couple years ago, this leadership event that I went to. And this is like the history of where all the ashes have been. I mean, Germany, New Zealand, Belgium, Honduras, Puerto Rico, Mexico, Japan, lots in the United States. What? Now, there are no ashes in here from 1907. <laughs> they are burned up long ago. In fact, these ashes are definitely from just the last fire that I got them out of. But the unity that it creates across generations. There's just something about a fire. We've got these flames that we burn in certain cities and the Olympic torches and all that, and it unifies us. And so I want to use that, that space, the campfire, that safe space that maybe you've been in or maybe you would like to experience as kind of a starting point today because today we're actually going to land at a campfire. To get there, let me remind you where we are. We're in this teaching series uh, called Trailblazer. And Trailblazer, the whole idea is it's the life study of this guy named the Apostle Peter. He was a trailblazer in our faith. He was one of the very first, you know, preachers ever. He preached the first ever sermon that there was for the church. And 3,000 people gave their life to Jesus that day. He was a trailblazer. He was one who uh, was very bold. And he was constantly even leading the way amongst the other disciples. He was a trailblazer. And he was one who his legacy far outlived his life because he was willing to just do the things that Jesus called him to do. He didn't always do it perfectly. We're in week four, so we've already seen that constantly he's sticking his foot in his mouth or he's doing something crazy or brash or bold. But God honors that and gives him a position of leadership and, and many, many people's lives have been changed because of Peter's willingness to step out and follow Jesus. And so the whole goal of this series is how do we learn from Peter to also follow Jesus? And today I want to find ourselves at a couple of campfires that Peter found himself at. We're going to primarily be today in John chapter 21. So if you've got your Bible, turn to John 
chapter 21. Uh, we got free Bibles in the back here by the door. If you ever need one, grab one. Even if you don't just borrow one for the service, you're welcome to get it. Or if you want to take it home, you can have it. Look it up on your phone, whatever. John chapter 21, starting at verse 1. It'll be on the screen behind me also. But as we pick up the Jesus story here in John chapter 21, this is a really important element. Uh, since the last time we were hanging out with Peter and Jesus, something pretty amazing happened. Uh, first of all, it was sad. Jesus died. And then... He rose from the dead. And this is a really, really big deal. I want to pause on that. Because for us to just take for granted that someone rose from the dead by their own power, that's called crazy. I mean, I've been to funerals. I've officiated over funerals. I've had loved ones that have passed away, and they stay gone, sadly. But this thing happens in Jesus' life because of the Spirit of God that was his soul. He animates his body again. He comes back to life. And to prove it, he begins just showing up to people. He appears to a lot of people here in this section near John chapter 20. He shows up to about 500 other people that we can read about throughout the New Testament. It's an incredible story. And then throughout history, many, many people have come to faith based on these resurrection appearances stories. And so that's a big thing. So maybe you're not sure how you feel about that. But I want you to know, first of all, uh, this is a safe place to have that conversation. So if you want to talk about it, if you want to have some resources and learn some things about it, this is a place to talk about it. You don't have to accept everything everyone feeds you on a silver platter here but I do want to tell you, I believe it. Our leaders believe it. The church has believed it. And it has been the main message of the kingdom of God since it happened, that Jesus died and rose from the dead. Okay, so this has happened. And now when we get to John chapter 21, uh, the disciples who have kind of already seen him a couple of times, they're going to see him in one of their very last times on this earth. And he's going to show up in kind of a cool way. So we're John chapter 21, starting at verse 1. It said, afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples. By the Sea of Galilee, which is kind of the setting for most of their stories. There are a lot, of, there are a lot in this, this northern region called Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, he's the star of our story. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel was there from Galilee. The sons of Zebedee, that's James and John. The two other disciples, they're not named, but they were there. Peter says to them, hey, I'm going out fishing. And they say, okay, we'll go with you. And so they went out, they got into the boat that night, and they caught Nothing which is what I call every time I go fishing. I'm not very good. My son is a really good fisherman. He catches stuff all the time. Me, I'm like, I don't know. I don't, they don't like me. So they have a bad night fishing. You got to understand most of these guys were professional fishermen. So this is something like, this is a night where the fish just aren't biting. They're using nets. So they're just not, you can't catch them. They're, it's not happening. Okay, so then, verse four. Early in the morning, it says Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. They're far ways off. It says they're about 100 yards off, maybe farther at this point. They don't recognize who he is. But the guy on the shore who happens to be Jesus, he calls out to them. He says, friends, haven't you any fish? No. And thanks for pointing that out, they answered. Jerk, we're tired. We haven't caught anything. For some reason, Jesus knew they haven't caught any fish. They don't know it's Jesus. He says, well, throw your nets on the right side of the boat and you will find some. You ever been doing something that you're really good at? And somebody walks up like, have you tried this? And they're just like, you're like, would you just stop? Like, I, but for whatever reason, and I think it's because they're starting to remember who he is here. Maybe they, he's done this before. He's asked them to do something different in their fishing. Throw your nets on the right side of the boat. You will find some. And so they did. And when they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. What a story. Like, this is a crazy story. These professional fishermen can't catch fish. This guy, Jesus, who, by the way, is a builder by trade. We've called him a carpenter for hundreds of years. More research has said maybe he was more like a mason. He might build with stone or something. But whatever the case, this guy builds things. He's not a fisherman. <laughs> and he gives them some advice, and they catch fish. 
Um, and we've talked about miracles several times in this story. And I want to point out, this is a miracle. Okay, this, th- these fishermen, they knew how to catch fish. They did it to survive. But then all of a sudden, this thing happens that they couldn't explain. They go from catching nothing to having so many fish they can hardly haul them in. I love this one commentator. His name's Raymond Brown. Uh, he's a New Testament scholar. And he writes about this story. And he says this. He says, in the gospel, it seems that the disciples can never catch fish without Jesus's help. <laughs> and so I actually haven't gone back and checked that, but as I think back, I'm like, that's actually true. I think like every fishing story, he has to help them in some way. So whether it's true, I want to believe it's true, at least for now, because it's kind of funny. Um, and I think it doesn't mean that they're bad fishermen. It just kind of shows us like, Jesus is better at doing what we're good at than we even are. And so it just shows his supremacy and all that. So anyway, the story picks up. They catch the, uh, they catch the fish uh, and this guy on the shore kind of shows his calling card because he did the miracle. And so verse 7, it says, Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, we generally think this is probably John. So John says to Peter, well, it's the Lord. It must be Jesus out there. It's the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him. He had taken it off. And he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about 100 yards. So that's where I got that number from earlier. Uh, If we've learned anything about Peter over this last four weeks, we've learned that Peter is not a sitter or a waiter or a, let's see what other people do first. He's a doer. He's a goer. He's a jump in first, ask questions later. So right here, he's in his undergarments. The dude's like fishing in his underwear. I guess it's pretty common. It's hot outside. He grabs his cloak. He throws the cloak on, jumps in. As soon as he hear that Jesus is on the shore, he ain't got no time to be turning the boat around and waiting for the fish. He's like, no, y'all can get the fish. I'm going. Why? Why? What makes us so anxious? Jesus and Peter have now been friends for three and a half years, okay? They've seen, he's seen Jesus since the resurrection. This isn't the first time. What is it? We can speculate. We don't know. But I've got some speculation. Um, I think that as Peter is swimming, he's swimming, stroke, 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 about 100 yards, have you ever swum the length of a football field? It's a long swim. Especially if you don't swim a lot and you've got a big cloak on. I think that while he's swimming, he's remembering something. Let me tell you another story. The night that Jesus was about to be arrested, just a few weeks earlier, before the crucifixion, the disciples were having a meal with Jesus. The Passover meal. It was part of a religious festival celebration, you know. And, and we actually have communion every week. We're going to have it this week. It's a, it's a reenactment of that same meal, okay. And, and Jesus is up in this room with his disciples. And it had been a pretty good night for Peter. He had looked pretty good. In fact, there's this one moment where Jesus was washing their feet. And Peter was like, oh, Jesus, you're the boss here. You don't wash our feet. If anything, I wash your feet. And Jesus is like, no, nah, I've got to wash your feet. It's just, it's going to be part of, you know, fulfilling the righteousness of what I'm trying to do. And so then Peter's like, well, fine. You got to wash my feet, wash my whole body. So he's like, just telling Jesus how in he is on this thing. But then Jesus looks over at Peter at one point in the meal and tells him, Peter, you're going to deny me three times tonight. Can you imagine that? You, you've just been out on a date with your spouse, or you're with your best friend, and you're having a good time, and then your friend looks at you and you're like, hey, you're going to deny me three times tonight. You're like, no. <laughs> like, we're having a good day. Like, why would I do that? But... Peter says it's not going to happen. It's not going to be happen. And, and, well, later Jesus is arrested, and it happens. So maybe you're familiar with the story. Maybe you're not. Let me just remind you or tell you for the first time. It kind of goes like this. You can read more about it. John 18 has got some more details. But 
Jesus gets arrested and, and he's, he's, he's taken by these guards to this place and Peter can't get into the building where Jesus is being held. There's this kind of bogus trial happening in the middle of the night. It's actually illegal based on the Jewish law at the time. But it, they happen, they rush this trial through, it's going to end up with Jesus being crucified. Peter can't get into that space, but he wants to get as close as he can. Why? Because Peter's bold. Peter's a leader. Peter's going to be there. Like, what's he going to do? He's, gonna, he's already tried to fight a Roman guard earlier tonight and he might be planning something. I'm going to get him out. I'm going to help him escape, whatever. And he's standing by a fire. This is the first of two fires we're going to encounter today. He gets to this fire, and something really weird happens. A little girl walks up to him. She's a servant girl, and she's like, hey, mister, I recognize you. Aren't you, aren't you the guy? They just brought in that Jesus guy. Aren't you the guy who's always hanging out with him? You're the loud mouth that's always out there with him. And he looks down at her, and I don't know what was so intimidating about this little servant girl. I don't know what it was that made him do this, but he just says, nah, that ain't me. I don't know him. Strike one, he denies Jesus the first time. And have you ever like made a mistake and you immediately regretted it? I just have got to feel like Peter immediately regretted this mistake. Shoot, why did I do that? He's got Jesus' voice echoing in his ear like you're going to deny me three times. And he's just like, shoot, there's one. Not going to happen again. But then standing around that same fire, another person looks up and he's like, no, wait. Yeah, I think she's right. Like, I think you are that. You are that guy. Here's the thing about lies. <laughs> lies tend to lead to more lies, right? Because Peter can't say, oh, Jesus, I thought you said Joseph. Yeah, no, no, yeah, yeah, Jesus. Yeah, that, I'm the guy that, yeah, you're right, you're right. Like, no, he, he immediately denies it again. No, no, I don't know the man. It happens a third time. This guy, uh, a guy who was actually like a cousin of the soldier he had tried to fight earlier that night. He might have been there. He might have also been a soldier. I'm, but he's just like looking at Peter. He's like, nah, you're, you're the guy with Jesus. You're definitely the guy. Peter denies him again, and he runs off three times. So that's the story. Jesus said it was going to happen. It totally happened. And Peter's living with this regret. And so Peter's swimming. He's swimming to the shore. He jumped out. He sees Jesus. And up to this point, he hasn't had a chance to make things right with Jesus. He hasn't apologized, whatever it is he was hoping to do. So he's swimming because he needs to make things right. And then we land at our second campfire in the story. So it's kind of funny because depending on how you read this story, it looks like maybe the rest of the disciples actually beat Peter to the shore. <laughs> like he's swimming. And I kind of hope this is what happened because it'd be hilarious for a guy like Peter, this super bold guy. And they're like, Peter, what are you doing? And like they, they did to pass him in the boat. Like <laughs> he's swimming. You know, did they offer him a ride? I don't know. But what it says is when they get to the shore, Jesus has already started a fire and he's cooking breakfast. Jesus has already caught fish. We have established that Jesus can catch fish whenever he wants to. So he's got some fish cooking, and it says that Peter then has to get into the boat, and Jesus says, bring me some more fish. So Peter gets into the boat, and they bring some fish, and Jesus cooks some more breakfast for them. That's pretty cool, breakfast with Jesus. He invites them over, and then we get back to our story. So I just kind of summarized a whole lot of stuff so we could get back to the main story. We're in John 21, chapter 14. Um, or is it, is it 20? 21? Yeah, 21. Verse 14. It might be 20. If, you, if what I'm reading is different than what you're reading, then you'll... You'll know. Go to the other chapter. Verse 14. It says, Now this was the third time that Jesus had appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So they've seen him two other times. They have breakfast. And verse 15 says, When they finish eating, Jesus looks at Simon Peter and he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he says. You know I love you. And Jesus said, oh, 
Then feed my lambs. Then Jesus said a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. I mean, I just told you, <laughs> just told you, you know that I love you. And then a third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? It says Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time. I mean, this guy's very aware of the significance of three times. He knows he denied Jesus three times. He knows that Jesus predicted that he was going to deny him three times. There's also lots of first century Jewish symbolism with threes, and this is a big deal. A third time he asked him, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things, and you know that I love you. So Jesus says basically the same thing a third time, feed my sheep. What in the world is going on? <laughs> this is a weird conversation. If you sat with your friend, your spouse, your girlfriend, boyfriend, and they were like, do you love me? Feed my sheep. You're like, what? Um, it's actually a joke I have with my wife for years, very often. I'm like, do you love me? Feed my sheep. She's like, I'm feeding all the sheep that I'm going to feed. Um, I don't know what Peter imagined was going to happen when he jumped out of that boat. <laughs> I don't know what he played in his mind while he was swimming. I don't know if he had this you know, planned out apology he was going to do. I, I don't know, maybe he hoped Jesus would just yell at him. You ever just feel like, look, if you would just yell at me, I would appreciate that. Like, I just feel really bad, and I want you to yell at me. Like, I don't know, maybe he wanted that, but Jesus didn't dole out a punishment. Instead, he just leads this simple interview where he only asks one question. I need to know one thing. Peter, do you love me? It's the first question that gets me the most, and I don't know why he asked it three different ways. I mean, there's lots of theories, and there's scholars who think they've cracked the code. I just, I think that it's just there, and we get to wrestle with it. That's the beauty of Scripture. Uh, but th this, is, this is a thing that I've read, and that I kind of like, do you, do you love me? The first question he asked, he says, Peter, do you love me more than these? And I think he's talking about the other disciples. He's like, do you, lo do you love me more than you love, you know, John? Do you love me more than you love James? Do you love me more than this guy and this guy and this guy? Do you love me more than these? And I honestly don't know why you even asked him that question. First of all, it's kind of awkward. It's like, well, Jesus, they're sitting right here. Like, you want me to say that right? I mean, yeah, of course I love. But I think the reality is that among these men, Peter is the leader. He is the leader. It's been established. It's been said by Jesus. That's this thing we did last week when he got the nickname Peter. You are the rock, and on this, I'm, on this rock I'm going to build my church. And so he's like, you're the leader among these disciples. He's also been the loudmouth, bold, brash upfront guy all the time and he's like listen they've all heard you say a bunch of stuff okay they've heard you proclaim just last week we talked about it you are the son of God and the Messiah I believe that you've said all these things but since then you've been through a hard time you messed up you know you messed up they all know you messed up you denied me publicly and so it's almost like Jesus is saying, look, you've made some bold claims in the past, and you've led the way for these guys. You are their leader. What I need to know and what they need to know is, are you still on board with me? Do you still love me more than you love them or anybody else? Because the answer to that question is going to define how the rest of this group goes from here on out, and your life goes from here on out. Three times he asked the same question, do you love me? Three times Peter denied and I think it must have burned a little bit more each time. Um, each time Peter answered, he gets a little bit more defensive. Yes, I love you. Yes, you know that I love you. Yes, you know all things. You know that I love you. Plus, I've already told you two times just recently. And then Jesus gives three brief responses. He says, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, 
take care of my sheep. Same basic idea. There's an imagery there. There's a picture there. Multiple times, in fact, if you rewind about 10 chapters, you'll get in John chapter 10, and there's this whole story where, John, where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. In fact, the, the sheep will hear my voice. They'll know me by my voice. And there's other people trying to get in the pen and mess with the sheep, and the evil one has come to steal and to kill and to, to destroy, but I've come that you may have life and have it to the full. So there's this whole picture of Jesus being a good shepherd has already been laid out. And so what does a good shepherd have? Sheep. And so there's this passing of the baton here to Peter from Jesus. Like, listen, I love these people. I love these people in this circle around this campfire. But you know that I love people beyond this. I've told you my mission in this world, to seek and save the lost. Do you love me? Okay, well, if you love me, you need to do the thing that I came here to do, to take care of these people, to lead them to my love. And I love that what's happening here, he's got a new mission for Peter because Jesus had already given Peter some tasks, but this is kind of like a new Peter in a way because the resurrection had happened. The fear of, like, let's get political a little bit and military a little bit. I mean, Jesus was a, a politically divisive figure in his time. And for him to stand up and claim to be the Messiah, the chosen one, the anointed of God, there were people who wanted to, you know, crown him king. There were people who wanted him to lead a rebellion against the Romans. There was all these things going on. Jesus was this, this, this figure. And then when he raises from the dead, it's going to cause an uprise. It does. It divides Judaism almost immediately. People from the outskirts of Judaism are like, the, the anointed one is here. I mean, it still lingers to this day. It's a big deal. And so Peter is coming in post that because after the, the, the arrest and the crucifixion, Peter is now 100% associated with who is going to be a political rival to all political powers. And so anyone looks at Peter, I mean, what happened to Jesus? What did they do when they were afraid of his authority? They arrested him and they killed him. Anyone who associates himself with Jesus from here on out is going to be at danger of this. This is why persecution was such a big deal in the early church. It's just taking the authority and the sovereignty from the local leaders, the governors, the Romans, anybody, the Jewish leadership, anybody. I need to know, are you on board? And when Peter says, yes, I do love you, Jesus said, you need to stick with my mission. Feed my sheep. This conversation is a pretty serious one. But I want to take a time out on the story. And I want to put it back on you and me, okay? Because this is also the kind of conversation that can happen around a campfire. I don't want to over-romanticize or over-play up this whole campfire thing, but I just want to take you to a place, okay? I want to take you to that sweet spot where you feel like you can open up. Now, I love our church men's retreat that we have uh, every year, and like, I, there's lots of parts of it. I love the, the, uh, the, the fried chicken that Molly, your dad, makes and feeds us in the middle of the night. I, like, I love that chicken. I love all the things about it, but one of my favorite moments, maybe my favorite moment, is the night around the campfire, and you guys who have been there, you know. It's just, there's no agenda, there's no plan, but something good happens. It's just something good. And it generally goes from us goofing around to somebody saying, man, I just need to talk about something. And it goes to that. And sometimes it's often little pockets over here because it's private. Sometimes it's like to the whole group. And so I want to take you all to that moment, like as much as I can. We're in a gymnasium at a YMCA, you know. Uh, you're not at a campfire, but try to go there because my question for you this morning is how long has it been? since you've had a good heart-to-heart -heart with the Lord? How long has it been? Well, you've had a moment where you're like sitting across the campfire or whatever your sweet spot is, across the cafe table, sitting at the beach, whatever that is. How long has it been? And for some of you in the room today, you're like, I've never, never done that. I just came to church, you know, 
or we're just trying to figure it out, or maybe you've got background with church and Christians that, is, that you don't like that. You know, like it makes me nervous. To, it's fine. That's fine. I told you earlier, this is a safe place for those conversations. But you have a God who loves you. He wants to talk with you. And when's the last time you've been able to do that? I want to invite you to the fire. And I want to ask you to sit there with just him and you. And I love about Peter that there's all these other friends sitting around. But in that moment, do you think Peter cared a rip about other people? <laughs> he did not. He was deadlocked with Jesus' eyes and they were talking. How long has it been for you? And I'm not talking about how long has it been since you came to church or opened your Bible or used the Bible app or like listened to Caleb or something. Like you're here right now so you can check that off your list. I'm not talking about that stuff. That's good stuff. I'm talking about the heart-to-heart, real, spiritual conversation with your creator. Where do I stand? Who am I serving? What's my purpose? How am I living my life? What impression am I leaving for the rest of the world about you? Maybe like Peter, you're swimming and you're carrying some guilt. And you just got to get it off your chest. I'm going to tell you, there's nothing more freeing than dragging that junk out of the darkness and into the light. The Gospel of John says that when we do that, it puts it before God and he sees it in the light. He sees our brokenness. He already knows that it's there in the shadows. But when we drag it out before him, it's the same thing that happens with like mold and mildew when you put it out in the sunshine. It just, ah, it melts away because God looks at you and says, I already knew that about you. And guess what? I love you. But do you love me? Feed my sheep. These conversations aren't easy, but they lead to some of the most beautiful things ever. They lead to God's grace. They lead to God's forgiveness. And forgiveness leads to purpose. Like when you can come out of the guilt, when you can come out of the shame, or there's the confusion. Maybe you don't feel the guilt, but you're just like, I don't know, I don't know. You can walk into the light of clarity, which brings you purpose. For Peter, it was going to be, Jesus goes on. You can read his story. This is kind of, kind of gruesome, actually. Jesus, he predicts that Peter's going to have to give it all. Peter does end up giving his life for the sake of teaching the gospel, the message of Jesus. But when we come to Jesus, he gives us that grace and he gives us that forgiveness. He doesn't just leave us there like, well, good. All right, next. No, he gives us purpose. He gives us kingdom work to do, people to influence, the children in your life that live at your house, your spouses, your coworkers, your neighbors. And he says, I want you to make it the same on earth as it is in heaven. I want you to create pockets of heaven with you everywhere that you go. I want you to be a God-chasing, grace-shaped, love agent. Those are the three phrases we use at our church all the time. It's like, this is, I want to change you. I want to transform you. And the world around you will know because of the fruit that you produce. I have purpose for you. There's a lot more that he says to Peter, but I want to focus on the very last two words. The very last two words. If you have your Bibles open, I don't even think it'll be on the screen. Um, but the last thing he says to Peter is, follow me. Perry preached several weeks ago when he, to kick off this series, and it was the story of Peter's calling. And that was the very first thing Jesus said. The very first thing he said to Peter, follow me. He says that Peter put down his nets and he followed, Pete, followed Jesus. And I love that the message didn't change. From the first encounter to the campfire, follow me. I will lead you. We talked about that last week. He said, I said, you, you are Peter, but on this rock, I will build my church. Jesus takes the ownership and the onus. I will build it. I will lead you. Follow me. So, how long has it been since you've had that conversation? Have you ever? And when it comes to following, who are you following? What are you following? We do a lot of following today social media and stuff like that. Follow, 
click the bell, subscribe, like, I don't know, all these things online. That's what we follow. I heard this amazing phrase the other day that we are discipled more by the news today than we are by the church. And you know there's a divide between, I don't know, Fox News and CNN. Like, that's the classic, you know. And you pick a side and you're like, this is who I'm following. Or maybe it's, you know, the biggest trend that you're into right now. Or I don't know, who are you following? Jesus says, follow me. Follow me and I'll change everything. I'll give you grace. I will give you forgiveness. I will give you purpose. Guilt is a prison. It's a slavery. But Jesus says, come to me and I'll make you free. Um, Every week we have... uh, a challenge, and I don't know where everybody is with your walk with God right now, but I try to give us a tangible challenge every single week that we can take home. I literally encourage you, I said this year, let's be a church that takes notes, so this is the thing to write down. Type it in your phone, take a picture of the screen when it gets over, whatever, because this is the thing I want everyone to try this week. Just try it, and it's, it's a little bit wordy because I couldn't find the best way to say it, but this, you'll get it. Here it goes. Put it up on the screen. This week, set up a campfire moment between you and Jesus. That's the challenge. What do I mean? I mean, bring your burden, accept his forgiveness, look for your purpose, you might need a whole another sentence that you got to add. But set up a campfire moment with Jesus. I'm telling you, if you have a fire pit at your house, light that puppy up. Tell your family, like, i got to go have a campfire moment with Jesus. Or do it with your family. Or if you have a close friend that, hey, I just I need to talk about something. That's why God put us in community. I know it is hard to talk what to feels like the air sometimes when you pray. That can be difficult. It can be frustrating. That's why we have each other, too. But set up that moment. It doesn't have to be a campfire. Maybe you got allergies or something. I don't know. Make it a moment in your car. On, pick, a, pick the time. Tuesday, 8.30 before I walk into work. Whatever it is. You got a patio chair out back in your house. You got a porch swing. You got a couch. Sit on the edge of your bed. But don't skip this. Set up a campfire moment with Jesus and just, I can tell you what he's asking you. <laughs> he's going to look at you and he's going to say, do you love me? Wrestle with that. As I love it. The old rabbis in the first century and even to today, we, we as Christians, modern Christians, we're like, we're like Western thinkers, and we kind of think that the job of the preacher is to just tell everybody what to think all the time. So this is, this is what my preacher says, and then now that's the new truth for you. That's not how Jesus taught. That's not how any first century Jewish teacher thought. Instead, they would say, think about this and wrestle with it. Just struggle with this thought. What is it God wants me to do? And you want to come to me, what does God want me to do? I don't know. Now, you can come to some answers. Eventually, that leads to some truth, and it leads to some answers. But the journey, the treasure, the joy is that wrestling. And the campfire moment is like that. For you, it might mean a journal. It might mean a friend that you call or a text thread that you start. But go on the journey because Jesus is asking you, do you love me? And then on the other end, you know what he's going to say? Feed my sheep. It's going to look different for each one of us. There's a good chance most of you won't be asked to do what he's asking me to do. Whatever that is. But there's also an equal chance that he's not going to ask me to do what he's asking you to do. And that can change in different seasons of your life. Set up a campfire moment with Jesus. If you have no idea what the heck I'm talking about, that's fine. (laughs) That's good. What I want to encourage you to do is before you leave the day, talk to somebody about it. Come talk to me in a minute. Our elders and some other spiritual leaders will be back at this table uh, that you could go talk to them. Anyone in the band, I'm sure, would be willing to talk to you. Just say, look, I don't even... I felt something this morning, but I don't know where to start. And that can start a conversation and a relationship. But don't ignore it. Wrestle with it. Work through it. Jesus says, if you're ready to love me, then follow me. And that's going to look a little different for everyone in here this morning. Can I just give you a couple of thoughts? First thought. You might be a person who has never truly 
taken a moment to say, Jesus is my Lord. Like, I'm going to do this. You may even identify as Christian. You might have gone that far. You were raised in a church setting, or maybe you've been coming here for a while, but have you ever had this moment where you're like, I need to publicly proclaim this to a group of people. This is my starting point. I'm going to follow Jesus wherever he leads. Have you had that moment? If you haven't had that moment, when we see in Scripture, every single time someone has that moment, the very first thing we see them led to do is to be baptized into Jesus. Have you been baptized as a believing person? Um, you know, on your own. You've thought about it, and you're like, this is what I want to do. And you could take that step of obedience and baptism. Peter preaches in his very first sermon that we're actually going to talk about next week. People are like, what do we do? What do we do? He's like, well, you should repent. You should turn from your sin. That's repent. You should turn back to God, and you should be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Is baptism the only place where the Holy Spirit and the forgiveness of sins can happen? I'm going to tell you this. What Scripture says in that verse is, if you're ready to repent, you should turn your life to Jesus and get baptized, and you will receive the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Is God capable of bringing you to him in other ways? Sure, he's God. But I'm only responsible for teaching what the Bible says. And so that's what I want to encourage you to do. Have you been baptized as a believer? Like, have you taken that step? So maybe start the conversation, maybe take the step, I want to be all in. Or maybe you've taken that step and you just need to have a campfire moment like Peter. I mean, Peter was all in. Peter was all in. His life was at risk already just by being associated with Jesus. But he just needed to have that moment where Jesus said, do you love me? And I want to encourage us all to wrestle with that today. He's got the fire going, but will you meet him there? Let me pray for you this morning.